and welcome back to the Masterclass of Manchester United Tactical Podcast. I'm Haydar Rabani and I'm your host as ever today. I'm joined by my co-host and my good friend, Rob Blanchett. Rob, Manchester United have just stolen it at the death. What a huge, I mean, I tweeted earlier, huge victory for Manchester United. This is the sort of game that we've seen us draw, but looked like it was going to be a nil-nil. Man United nicked it with a Rashford goal. Massive up to second going into the new year. Welcome back. What did you make of tonight's performance? And more importantly, what did you make of the result? Well, this is what Premier League football is all about. You can't play well every week. And Manchester United stank the place out today. It was two or three things that were really badly wrong. And we'll talk about that today in the podcast. But overall, in these kind of matches, you've still got to win. And Manchester United somehow, with Marcus Rashford on the pitch, who looked injured again tonight, scored the goal that gets United three points. It doesn't matter how you win, you still get the three points and you put them in your pocket and you move on. So we'll all forget about this Wolves game in the weeks to come, I'm sure. You know, it wasn't a classic. And we'll talk about, I said, the things uh, that didn't quite work for Ole tonight. But this is a great win. This is as good as beating anyone three or four or five nil, because ultimately this is the kind of game that Manchester United would have lost under Louis van Gaal and would have lost under Jose Mourinho in other circumstances, and even would have lost in that first year under Ole. They're resilient, these boys. Uh, you know, sometimes they're not good, but they fight, and they keep fighting, and that's why, why they are where they are in the Premier League as it stands. 100%. There's some really happy people in the comments, which I love to see. Ben saying here, big smile, hey, they love it. Mate, I'm delighted, honestly. The performance wasn't great for me, Rob, but like you just said, it's about picking up the win. In years gone by, United wouldn't have won that game. We'd be sitting here, and I thought we were going to be doing the same. We'd be sitting there having one of them podcasts where we're thinking, what did United not do so well? We've got Shanti Sean up the Reds. Tough watch, but great result. Absolutely. Uh, Arian saying here, what we're wearing for the parade, fellas. Easy, easy. Because I said, after we beat PSG in Leipzig, Rob, United could win the Champions League. And you were like, don't you dare say it. And now we're out of the Champions League. So I'm not saying anything because I'm a little bit of a bad omen. But guys, get your comments in. We're going to start off with the formation, Rob. Just let me know your thoughts on the setup and what you made of Oli's selection. So Oli rotated tonight and we knew he was going to do that everyone rotates at Christmas not just Manchester United and I think also fans were a bit you know at, at the start of the game we were like well was Martial dropped why has he made these changes is Tellers in for sure is Shaw now not going to play all of these kind of differentials and really the truth is none of them are particularly true he played 4-2-3-1 which is what he's played against Wolves previously so that's not that's not surprising any factor at all but trying to actually look at what Wolves were doing and how they were going to play and they were literally just going to look for that counter attack obviously with their quick men so Ole knew this and he wanted to play in a more traditional way of what we've seen Ole play, Ole's teams play in the last year. And you expect them within those formations to be able to know them and do them. And what we saw tonight is that when you bring in maybe two players who have not been at the football club very long, and that is Tellers and Cavani, that these things can suddenly collapse. And Manchester United's all-round play today just wasn't very good. It was slow. It was cumbersome. The partnerships on the football pitch... So I always talk about left back and uh, left attack and right back and right attack and then your double pivot. They're the two big or the three kind of big areas where you have partnerships. They kind of didn't work at all today. So we'll, we'll touch, we'll, uh, you know, with more detail into why they didn't work. But United got away with it. They dodged a bullet. 
and dodging bullets is good. That means you can go up the table when you're not had a good game. And I don't think Wolves deserved anything anyway. You know, like at the end of the game, they're going, oh, Nuno will be upset he didn't get a point. They came in, they parked the bus in the second half. You know, they didn't really offer a lot. They did have plenty of chances in the game, half chances, De Gea to make one or two saves. But overall, I think United edged it. And of course, in those last five or ten minutes, there was only really one team looking to win the match, and it was Manchester United. And that's why they got the three points. Yeah, I agree with that, Rob. Rob, I'm going to read out some comments before we talk about Alex Tellez. I think it's important we actually break down his performance today. We've got one here from Henners. Can't break down low block teams, which is a problem. This is why we aren't as good as Liverpool at the moment. Big, big window. Absolutely, Rob. We'll actually talk about the low block as well and what United can do to break that down a little bit more or more effectively. Neo saying here, brilliant result, awful performance. Pogba cannot dictate. We'll touch on Pogba later, as we always seem to do, Rob. Helen saying over here, have to say Shaw coming on changed it up. was great to see, however, disappointed Greenwood and even Rashford with when he gets in the box. There was a few problems, Rob, I think, with Tellez. And a lot of the comments here saying Shaw was fantastic. Shaw showed pretty much in the first couple of minutes he came on why he is the number one fullback for Oli. And that's really surprising. So a lot of people thought Alex Tellez would come in and he would be the player that would take that position. He would be someone that would offer United more going forward. But what we haven't seen from him at the moment is we haven't seen that attacking, you know, sort of threat that he has. And what we haven't seen as well is what we can actually do to get the best out of him. I think the biggest problem for me, Rob, is that he can't play in a flat back four. Defensively, he can't do it. And in the first half, what you saw is that Adama Traore is causing a lot of problems in that space between Maguire and Tellez. And it was the right decision by Oli, a big decision to make. And we always ask him to make those decisions early. He did it at half time. And ultimately, that's what helped United secure the victory. A huge tactical decision at half time that he had to make. And he made it. And I'm really pleased that he did. First of all, got to say, this is not the Let's Bash Alex Tellers channel. Yeah, when people are not coming to this podcast to watch me have a go at players. You know, I've got a lot of jip at half time. People saying to me, Oh, you don't like Tellers, you don't like Tellers. Of course, none of that is true and it's ridiculous. The problem was that Alex Tellers had a shocking first half. What did he do and what did he not do? Well, part of the game plan for United today was to exploit the wings. So to try and get behind that attack of Troy Ray trying to expose Neto on one side, but trying to get forward into the gaps behind the defence because they were playing a low block. So when we see that three there, obviously we've got the tactics up on the board there, the 3-5-2, that was effectively 5-4-1 at times and sometimes kind of five, you know, five across there, six dropping back in. It was a proper, proper old school Mourinho low block. And I do believe that... Uh, that this manager knows Jose Mourinho quite well. He was his uh, number two keeper, wasn't he? Absolutely. So, won so the he, exactly. So he was basically playing some tactics here that he knew Manchester United would have problems with. So, you know, good luck to him, but he did lose the game. But when we're looking at this with Alex Tellez, as you just said there, in a flat back four, he has problems. Why? He wants to go forward. You see that. So you saw that he was getting closer to Rashford. So Rashford's in his position on the left-hand side, maybe just in the channel. And what you needed from your left-back in that scenario, whoever it is, Luke Shaw, Tellez, could be anyone, is to overlap. When you're that close, when you're 10 yards from your player who's on your, on your team, you've got to be the player that overlaps. Why? Because then it allows you to get behind the defence if Rashford wants to play you in, but then it also opens up the inside of the channel for Rashford to attack and bring it on his right foot. Tellez did none of that in the first half. He kind of got 10 yards up to, to Rashford quite a bit, 
and then kind of pulled the brakes on. And he did have two or three crosses, but they were they were kind of the isolated crosses that don't do a lot of things. You know, we, you kind of bring it back on your right foot and you swing it, or you bring it back on your left foot and swing it in. They're really easy to read for a centre-back who's watching that play. So Conor Cody, Sias would have been watching that and saying, well, he can only really float it into the box. That's okay. We'll stay here. We'll guard Cavani. And of course, Manchester United got nothing out of that scenario. But the problem also was on the back foot because when he was that close to Rashford and they broke, they absolutely destroyed Manchester United two or three times. And you could see how jittery um, our boy Maguire was, who obviously hasn't got any pace at all because he was thinking... I'm going to get murdered on the outside here because my fullback's gone. And there was one situation, I think three or four minutes right before half time, which I believe is a decision why Ole pulled him. And he was about 30 yards out of position. And they ran at United from the right wing. And I think Baye came across and helped and got rid of the ball. But I looked at that at that moment and I thought, you got to pull him because it's not working. So I think what happened and what this is, is that he, he had COVID, didn't he? And he has had to go through this process of recovery, just like Paul Pogba did. And we have heard plenty of times with this long-term COVID that it does affect players' fitness. He looks like that he's fit for the reserve team at the moment and not fit for the first team. And that's what that looks like to me. I'm not questioning his ability. We all know he's a raiding fullback. We know, all know he's great on the outside. But you saw tonight he couldn't do it. He was trying. I think the effort was there up here. But he also had... Traore living in his head behind him and that stopped him from doing his job both on the front foot and behind not a great sign for Tellez like we've talked about him a couple of times now and about him making decisions and not quite sure what he's doing and I think also today him and Rashford the chemistry between them it didn't even look like they'd ever played together before you know just Rashford didn't you know Rashford really should have been screaming at him to overlap should have been telling him get past me when I've got the ball at my feet and there was none of that so that's not a great thing for Marcus either. But overall, United had that left side to attack in the first half. That was where the space was, and they just didn't do it. And that was why the first half was so bad. And the second half, Luke Shaw came on, and in 19 seconds, because I counted it, he did exactly what you wanted the fullback to do. He went from the halfway line, and he burst past Rashford, and he got the ball, and he swung it in, and I think he got a free kick from that moment and that was 19 seconds into him being on the pitch now that's not saying Luke Shaw is the world's greatest progressive left back but it shows that Luke Shaw understands the game plan and maybe Tellez his fitness is a little bit short but at the same time maybe he's just not ready to do that role in the Premier League yeah absolutely Rob I want to add to that as well what I noticed is uh during the build-up especially early on we've sort of managed to drop into the into a back three and you'd have like a three one six and what you saw then is you saw Tellez being that outball or the outlet. And the problem was that once Wolves identified that, he was they were swarmed on him and United weren't changing it. And just to give you a bit of context into how much Tellez touched the ball, how many passes he made after the first half, and I got this from United Arena just to give credit to that great account, Tellez had 48 passes more than anybody else. So that tells you actually he was very involved. His pass percentage rate was also 93%. So when you strip it back and actually look at statistically he he was he was pretty good on the ball his passes were accurate but the biggest problem is for me rob is that you talk about chemistry i don't think the chemistry is also there with maguire the amount of times when he's played on that left hand side of defense what you've seen is there's been a lack of communication teller has been stuck up the pitch and i'm a massive fan of alex teller's i'm also not the big fan of luke shaw and, and you guys all know this but 
for me right now, if you're going to be picking the fullback to go forward as your first choice, it has to be sure for the moment. And you're, it's similar to maybe when you look at Van der Beek as well. They've just come into the side. They're coming to squad, new league. They're acclimatizing. Not everyone's Bruno Fernandez hits the floor running, hits the ground running. Sorry, and so for me, I think Tellez probably needs to work his way back back in, understand the system. I think if you're going for three at the back and you're playing with a left wing back, then Tellez is definitely the one to play there. But going forward now, I think would you agree that now Shaw's got that position and United really now need to sort out the fullbacks because I just think today as well, Wan Bissaka. I know we talk about him a lot, but in the build up, I thought he was slow and ponderous. A lot of the side were today. And until United can fix those two very important areas in the modern game, you know, the fullbacks are so important for going forward, also for going in defence as well. Until United saw that out, you know, we can't really progress to the next level. We're doing fantastic at the moment, but we need to be better in those areas, don't we? Yeah, I am i don't believe in fandom with players. So I'm not a fan of Tellez or not a fan of Luke Shaw or whoever. You play the player that can do the job and does the job and who gets you to win or helps you get the win. So let's let's start on a base level. When you look at Tellez, he should have been able to do that job tonight. Yeah, the job was getting the ball close to Rashford, getting past him and getting crosses in the box. And even Ole said before the game, we want to get some crosses in for Cavani today. He said that came out of his mouth. So that was the idea is that you get past Rashford or you allow Rashford to kind of operate in that channel and your left, your left winger does all the left wing back stuff on the front foot. Tellers didn't do any of that. I think it's a fitness issue. You know, it's not that he can't do it. But when we're looking at this kind of week to week to week to week, you've got to have the balance. So there's no doubt that as it stands today, Luke Shaw is the more competent left back in the Premier League. That's just, just bottom line. It doesn't matter what your assist column is. It doesn't matter how many pass completion yet. Like when you look at that, his pass completion was good. Why? Because he was stood five yards from Rashford for most of the half. So you're going to have 93% because he's making two yard passes. So that, that kind of pass completion thing doesn't mean anything to me because ultimately he didn't do anything with the ball. And when he did have the chance to go past the man, I just it, I was just kind of miffed that he wasn't, you know, being the roadrunner into that uh, into that channel behind where he's got space. He just couldn't do it. And then you could see when he was running backwards in that last two minutes, he was chugging away. He looked like he'd done 95 minutes already, you know, and it was only the 43rd minute. So I'm not surprised he got pulled. How often do you use him? You know, if, if it's a situation, I think what you said there about Van der Beek is a very, very good comparison as to what players can do. This is not about what the player's talent is. It's about can they run in the Premier League and keep going and go fast and slow and fast and slow because that's what happens in English football. And you can see that Bruno Fernandes can do that. So that's why Bruno doesn't have a problem. Donny van der Beek can't do that. Not in the games we've seen. He plays at one pace all the way through. Tellez today played at one pace. And that was reflective because the whole team played at one pace at that point. But the other issue is this, is that when you have one or two or three positions that kind of fail on the day, and I kind of highlighted those partnerships at the start, that's enough for your whole team to kind of collapse because it puts the jitters on them. So Rashford knows already that his fullback's not overlapping him. So what does he do? He holds the ball too long. You said it on the right-hand side with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. It happens every week. You're on that right-hand side. Aaron's not overlapping effectively. So what do you do? You hold on to the ball. You, bring, you come back inside. These are issues for United that Ole has to solve in real time as we go along and find ways to win football matches. But it just shows that United, the weaknesses that they had maybe a year ago are still present, even though United have gone out and bought a raiding left back who can't do it. 
let's hope he gets his fitness levels up. And that's saying a week or so not a week, but in a month or two or three or something like that, we're on this show saying he's fixed that because otherwise he's going to sit on the bench. That's his life at Manchester United. He's not good enough to wear Luke Shaw's shirt as it stands. And I know Luke Shaw isn't popular, but I don't care about that. Luke Shaw came on today, was a big part of the victory in terms of playing a position, both defensively and offensively, did both his jobs there today. And he kept the shape. United's shape was fixed from about the 72nd minute on. I kind of made a mental note. So for 18 minutes today, United were the correct shape. And they won the game out of those 18 minutes. They didn't win anything out of the other 72. That's really telling, Rob. Rob, I'm going to read out some of the comments on Luke Shaw. There's some fantastic ones. Guys, keep them coming in. We want to hear your thoughts. There's some really great uh, comments and great enthusiasm. We love it. G Fox is saying here, Rob, that Tellis tends to cross from deep quite often. Shaw showed him how the plan should have worked at the start of the second half, but then didn't do much overlapping after that. But that's something we haven't really seen enough, Rob, have we? Of Tellez, he's a very good crosser from deep. So, you know, for example, if it's on the halfway line and let's say Greenwood's making that out to in run, he's fantastic at doing those sort of cross field crosses. But we haven't had the opportunity to see that. And when you haven't got that part of his game there, then he's not offering as much if that makes sense because defensively he is worse than Luke Shaw. So he becomes a, a bit of a liability and this is not to bash Tellez, but I do think he just needs a bit more time to acclimatize to the league. We've got another one here from Jonathan last season. We would have drawn a loss that game, especially with Bruno being so off the pace. Absolutely. That's why I'm so happy guys, because this is a sort of game where United have to win if they want to go to the next level in terms of the progress in terms of, you know, in, in terms of, possibly challenging i still think we're we're too far off in terms of uh quality but you never know i'm not saying it's not going to happen but i just think even if we get into that top three again this season that's still fantastic progress and we've got a question here rob let's talk about matic and pogba because i think there are some mixed views on them so we've got henna's here saying matic doesn't have the same impact as fred and mctominay so slow on the ball frustrates me watching him and uh, Tofik is saying here, it was obvious with Matic and Pogba, we have a higher win percentage. I felt we wouldn't lose after all. What are your thoughts on the perfect midfield pair and Donny van der Beek not getting games? Now, Rob, I want to talk about Pogba and um, Matic because for me, we saw our best football at back in the last season where Matic was playing absolutely out of his skin. He was playing at a level we haven't seen for many, many years. And that allowed us to play Paul Pogba next to him. He played in a deeper role, still a 4-2-3 on, and United are blowing teams away. Now, what we've done is we've come into this season and Matic doesn't look anywhere near that level, which is a bit worrying considering we gave him a three-year contract. And so Fred and McTominay, who aren't the most glamorous pairing, but they deserve a lot of credit, don't they, for the way that they've played in a lot of the games, disciplined, hardworking. But there's a question about Donny van der Beek now. For me, the reason why Donny van der Beek isn't playing is because, A, positionally, he's a number 10. And we've discussed this many, many times. But also, if he's going to play in that deeper role, he needs to work on his physicality. He needs to work on his positional awareness and discipline. And he needs to understand the system. A 4-2-3-1 with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is different to a, a 4-2-3-1 elsewhere. Each manager has different tweaks. But looking at it now... Would you be looking to go forward with that Fred McTominay again? Or is it time that Oli does look to bring in a Pogba with one of them? I think fans have to understand why he played those two today and played that system. That's the first point of call. Because we can all have our dream pairings, but our dream pairings don't work against every opponent every week. You have to change it. So when you think about where United have played the, the last few weeks in terms of the, the systems and the setups, 
this week was probably the right time to play Matic and Pogba. You know, we know that Wolves' midfield plays off and plays deep. And we know that they weren't going to play with much up top. We knew this. You know, it's what Wolves do. So today, it wasn't really about whether Matic or Pogba could be that progressive. And this is the whole thing. I, I saw lots of people tweeting afterwards, again, bashing Paul Pogba. And this game had nothing to do with Paul Pogba. He played in the double pivot. People have to understand what the double pivot is. It's a defensive function in the main and to get you going out of the back. But the problem was that because United weren't working on the left-hand side either, then when Pogba looks up and gets the ball and Matic, what's there for them? Nothing. Zero. So this is why when I say about the partnerships on the football pitch, they're kind of the most important thing. Could Donny van der Beek played today in the double pivot? The answer to that, absolutely 100% is no, no chance. How could you fit Donny van der Beek in today? You could have played him where you played Bruno. So you could have played Bruno deeper, but you don't want to do that, do you? Because Bruno's got the best assist and goal rate of any midfielder in Europe. So it would be crazy. So this is the whole thing about when you rotate, you have to think about these things more laterally. He had to obviously bring Baye today because there was no Lindelof. He decided to bring Tellers in because Tellers needed a game. He dropped Shaw. He took Martial out of the team. He brings in Cavani. That's three big changes. You can't do more than that. Fans get annoyed when Ole changes stuff and say he changes it too much. And when he doesn't change it, they say he hasn't changed it enough. So it's kind of like, Again, you know, well, yeah. so where do you live on those things? So he made three changes today. And really those three changes did have a big reflection on Manchester United's performance. And I don't think that if he had to name that team again in two hours time, that he would want to name that team again because it didn't quite work. But it, it didn't work for those reasons of, you know, oh, well, do you play Fred McTominay now? Because... That's again, that's going back to what my catchphrase has become, but it's come, it's two championship manager, isn't it? It's just they're the two players that, that fit. Do you, you just play them? Yeah, you just play it every Sorry, what was that? Too binary. That's the other one that you use. <laughs> it's too binary. It's too binary. And it's, you know, Pogba didn't do anything really wrong today, neither did Matic, not really in their function of the double pivot. But United as a whole, as a whole team, holistically, my other favorite word. Were, were poor because they couldn't pop the ball around. And it doesn't come just from the double pivot. It comes from your fullbacks. It comes pushing up the pitch. I want to speak after this about Cavani because obviously Cavani comes into the team. There's a lot of people high on him because of what he's done with coming off the bench. But I think what we saw today is why Cavani cannot be a starter at Manchester United. And it's not because he's not a good footballer. He's a great footballer. He's been a world-class footballer. We know he has. But when you've got to go and do that role as a number nine in the Premier League, you can't just go wandering around the pitch doing whatever you want. Do you know what that looked like to me tonight? That looked like peak Wayne Rooney at number nine. Yeah, Wayne Rooney, I'm just going to play where I want. I'm going to be on the left wing for a bit, central midfield. I'm going to chase someone back to centre-back. I can do it all because I've got so much great physical energy. What Manchester United system needs is a striker who plays sometimes with his back to goal and goes and works in the channel and takes Connor Cody for a ride somewhere, not goes and plays on the left wing and holding Henry Rashford and then go on the right being four yards from Greenwood and then coming back and being behind Bruno. It's, it's crazy, a stupid football. But that comes about from not also knowing the system maybe and taking time to assimilate, even though he's a great veteran, great experienced player. He is going to be the player that United bring off the bench for 20 minutes to go and win you games or change matches. 
Now, he was on at the end of the game today, but we didn't get him across, did we? We didn't do anything for him, really, in those terms. So he goes hunting and goes looking, but he needs to be more disciplined. And this is why I still say that the best number nine at the football club, and people don't believe me, is Anthony Martial, because he will go and play in that play, and he will sit on the penalty spot now, because he's learnt after two or three years, and he will stand there, and he will allow others to come into the game, specifically Bruno as a false nine. And we didn't see that say so Bruno had a lot of kind of other stuff to do. Bruno was like, I can't burst forward because there's not enough kind of coverage here. I'm getting the ball at my feet, but then Cavani's like... 30 yards by the corner flag, what's going on? So all of that kind of chemistry wasn't present today. And I'm sure in the debrief, Ole will be throwing this down their necks and saying to them, you completely messed the game plan up. You can see what the game plan was. It's just like it didn't execute. And for me, it's the two new players and quite often is in any football club. If they're not quite tuned in to doing stuff, they just kind of go a little bit rogue. And Cavani was very rogue today. And Tellers just looks off the pace because I don't think he's fit. And as soon as those two positions goes wrong, it doesn't matter if Pogba in a double pivot isn't doing what you want to do. It's it's all of it. It, it doesn't work as a whole. And I think with Cavani today, he didn't really do his um, his credentials well of, say, starting in the weeks to come. I think he will go back to the bench. Yeah, Rob, some things I picked up on were lack of execution was, was poor today. Um, deficient decision-making or decision-making was not to scratch. I thought that we weren't, our movement wasn't good enough. Let's talk about Cavani because it's a couple of questions here. The One United podcast, are we struggling for energy because of the hectic schedule? Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And Oli, I think, rotated well today. You're completely spot on when people say, well, why is he only changing two or three here? You can't change six because the balance is completely off. Look what three did today. So you've got to do it incrementally. So I think Oli's done well in that respect. Um, yeah, the movement intensity seemed off today. And... Uh, there's a question here or more of a comment from Lakesh that the system is not defined wrong. That's because the roles are not executed well. And Hennes is saying here, the problem with Cavani is we're not good at crossing. Aaron Wambasak and two strikers can't cross, I'm afraid. And Helly's literally reading my mind. I'll happily take a scruffy three points. I'm absolutely delighted, guys. We won playing poorly. And totally. that's the most important thing. We're, we're abs me, Myself and Rob both said off air. We're absolutely buzzing about that. But let's move on to Cavani, Rob. Now, this mm -hmm. is how I saw it. The reason why he was dragging out to the right or all over the place is because of one of the comments saying that Wan-Bissaka wasn't offering anything on the right. I found us, look, we, we know we're, we're lopsided as a side. We know that already. That's not anything new. We know that most of our attacks come down the left. But when you're playing a Wolves side who are going to low block, we said this before, two ways of breaking down the low block. Play with width, you've got to play through it. Playing with width, exploiting space down the flanks. Wolves know we're coming down the left side of the flank. The right side didn't work as you spoke about it earlier. You know, the sort of the chemistry between Wan-Bissaka and with Greenwood. And then you've got the five at the back, which is difficult to break down. We couldn't get through the middle because technically we're not quick enough in, in terms of our one-touch passing. So for me, I felt like Cavani was pulling out to the right because of the fact that nothing was happening on that right-hand side. He was trying to make something happen. He got frustrated and he almost went indisciplined. So for me, I think it was more an element of frustration rather than, because we've seen him play at number nine and he's been very, very disciplined in his positioning. But today we saw Wan-Bissaka Ponderous. I think several times Greenwood instead, he's because he's a number nine, instinctively he'll go for the short try and dribble past a man. He had one fantastic cross to Bruno in the first half. But apart from that, we didn't see much attacking threat from that right-hand side, much production from that right-hand side. So for me, that's how I saw it. I don't know if you agree with that. Do you think Cavani just had one of those games where he was just trying to make things happen? Because 
I still think that United look a better side when he is playing as a number nine, personally. I thought Cavani was rubbish tonight. That's the bottom. Uh, if we, we let's let's boil it down, yeah. In terms of like, is did someone play well or not? I'm not giving him a pass because he's Cavani that he can go and play wherever he wants. And I used to be like this about with Wayne Rooney as well. Yeah, every week when Rooney played as the nine in a four-one-one, the four-four-one-one, and he was at the point of the attack, I used to say, go and do number nine things as a striker. Yeah, go and work in those areas. Don't be dropping back into midfield and pretending that you're some maverick. But he did that his whole career, so that was up to him and Fergie. Cavani can't be doing that in this system. You know, there was one question there about what the system is and about how defined it is. Four, four, two, three, one is as defined of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's system as you will ever find. And that's exactly why Ole at halftime got cold feet and changed it because he knows what he wants from that system and he wasn't getting it. Now, talking about the right-hand side, I think that is obviously uh, something salient to talk about. We know the issues that Aaron Wan-Bissaka has and we also know that Greenwood hasn't played a lot of football this year. But those two boys know each other as a partnership probably better than anyone else on the football pitch because they played it together all season long last year. The issue is that Aaron Wambasaka can't cross a football. That's a problem. And as you said there, like you, you said there that Greenwood's a number nine. Now we know that he is going to be a number nine, but he's played that position on the right hand side for a year, 18 months and scored probably more goals than any other player in, in the Premier League from that position. And he's a kid. So he's not doing anything wrong. It's just that he's not Sancho. He's not going to create for you there. So you almost have to kind of bypass that. And that's why Wambasaka needs to do more. But none of those things are an excuse for Cavani to go and get on his bike and do what he wants. Cavani has to be the statesman in that team and say, I'm the number nine. Do your job around me. Work with me and give me the ball in the box. So like you just said there, you know, United are better with Cavani as number nine. Well, tonight that doesn't that's disproved one hundred percent. Not tonight. He was he was poor tonight. But, I agree but, with and you. And as that. I always say, it's not binary in the sense that, you know, one week, you know, we could play Cavani as number nine. Next week he'll score a hat trick and everyone thinks Cavani should be number nine every week. I always think more about the system and, and people and how they know each other. And for me, the front three, every week, if you could do it without rotation, would be Rashford, Martial, and Greenwood three of our quickest players, three of our best finishers in those systems and how they play. And we have to give Greenwood time because we know how good he's going to be. But he's had a bad time. You know, best friend committed suicide, yeah. all of these issues off the pitch. You know, United have to be look after him and kick gloves and say to him, right, let's bring you back into the team. And I think Ole is doing that. So I was fine with him coming in and playing today. You know, and if he gets that chance on his left foot, you know he's probably going to hit the target. So... Those things are fine. I think you work through them. But I think with Cavani, you know, it's, I'm more than happy for him to be at United. You know, I, I said that from the beginning. But I do see him as a backup. You know, I see him as a, as a veteran who's going to give you loads more upside than the Garlo did from the bench. And then you can change things. If, 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 you, if your raiding attack isn't working and Martial's not working, great, bring Martial off after 70 minutes. But Martial is going to be the player. I know people don't believe me. I know you don't as well, Haydar. He is going to be the number nine that works this this year, not Cavani. If United win the title this year, right? We're talking about United winning championships, possibly. Don't it won't it. be because of Cavani. It won't be because of our number nine for Cavani. It will be because Martial catches on fire 
with Rashford and with Greenwood and they score 65, 70 goals between them between now and the end of the season. That's why United could win the title. But if United think that's, if United fans think it's going to be because of Cavani, it just really isn't. I agree with that, Rob. I want to read out this comment from Asoka because he doesn't agree with you. So Asoka's saying here, I disagree with Rob. We literally weren't creating anything for Cavani today. Cavani actually did work hard. He did. And, and, the, and the team as a whole toiled for long periods. Yeah, the team was was poor tonight. I mean, look, it was one of those performances, Rob, where... And Cavani did work hard. Not yeah, saying he, he didn't. Hard, but he's always going to work hard, isn't he? That's, always, that's, always. that's he's, a motor. he's a motor. Yeah. He's going to work hard every match. You'll never get anything different out of him. Absolutely. And G-Fox is saying here, Cavani was frustrated, but that's where discipline is needed. If he stayed centrally, I think we would have had more chances and we'd have at least one option in the box rather than going side to side. That's a fantastic comment. I do agree if, with if that. If you stood next to, to Connor Cody today and just did five or ten yard runs off Connor Cody all night long, I'd have been happy because that's what a number nine does. And what he would have done there by pulling Cody just slightly out of position, Bruno could have read that and Bruno would have followed through. And it worked, didn't it? You know, was it the, which match was it where, where Bruno scored when it came across and Cavani pulled the defender out the way and then Bruno had a tap in on the, on the near post in one of the games where he came on. And that's what you want your number nine to do. But tonight, Cavani was playing hero ball. And it doesn't work. In the Premier League, teams are way too disciplined to allow you to do that unless you are Ronaldo, unless you are Messi, you know, where you can do special things. And Cavani can do that. But in this kind of game where it's going to be a grind and that you're in a low block, you must be def you must be 100% disciplined in your position. Otherwise, it all goes completely weirdly wrong shaped. And United were like that. I think with about 20 minutes to go, bringing Martial on and letting Martial play on the left channel, suddenly there was this balance all the way across from left to right. And you could see that they were moving like this again. And that's what football teams should do from left to right, whether it's asymmetric or whether it's together or whether it's coming back together. It was all there for the last 18 minutes. That's why yeah, United won the game. For the 72 minutes before that, it was all over the shop. It was terrible. And I think, you know, as I said, the manager will be highlighting that to his players today. And there's no favourites. It doesn't because he doesn't like Tellez more than Shaw or thinks Cavani's better than uh, Martial or any of that kind of stuff. It's about doing your job on the day. And United got away with it today. And thank God that they did. Absolutely. But Rob, I want to talk about the right-hand side more because when you, so you talk about Martial coming on, that did change things. But actually moving Rashford to the right was massive because the right side was being was problematic for me. I think Wan-Bissaka struggled. I mean, Helen's got a question here. Let's talk about this first, actually. Let's ask this question, answer this question before we talk about the right-hand side and Rashford's impact. So I actually thought that that brought Pogba into game more as well. But Helen's saying here, regarding Wan-Bissaka, we always talk about Wan-Bissaka, don't we, Rob? But um, no, this is not to bash him because I don't think he was terrible today. I don't think he was, uh, you know, he just wasn't doing much going forward. But Rob, you're obviously a fan of Tuanzebi. Why is he not starting? We can see that Wambasaka is unable to go forward. We've got a problem here at right back. I think right back's a bigger problem than right wing. A lot of a lot of fans will say, well, let's give Wambasaka a, a, a let's say an out and out right winger. Let's give him a Sancho. But I don't think that's going to make an incredible amount of difference because the problem is Wambasaka and his development as a player. Now. We all talk about how good he is 1v1 on tackling, you know, his 1v1 tackles, but his positional awareness at the back post is worse than when he came to the club. Going forward, he's ponderous. He can't cross, as you said earlier on. So United have got a problem there. Until we sort out the balance with the fullbacks, I 
I keep on banging on about this because I don't think the midfield's as much of a problem as the fullbacks. Until we sort out that area, because like we said earlier, the modern fullback has to go forward. We saw Ben Chilwell last night. And I don't want to talk about opposition too much, but I have been so impressed with the way that Ben Chilwell's played. I mean, I know you were also impressed. The way that he gets into great positions, his end product is fantastic. We're not seeing that from our fullbacks enough. And if United add that extra bit of um, you know, dimension to their attacking game, we're going to go to the next level. Yeah, thanks for the question, Helen. Uh, I think as well, when you look at two and Zabi, you've got to look again at the rotations, like we said today. So we saw three three forced rotations in many ways, but one primary one, which of course was centre-back. So could two and Zabi play today with Maguire? Yes. Could two and Zabi played with Bailly and drop Maguire out? Well, yes, but that's not going to happen, is it? So I think for Ole, again, some of these crunching numbers and looking at, at where, you know, looking at partnerships... He, he still might feel that Tuan Zabi, who's only come back from injury maybe four weeks ago, is still playing catch-up in those positions. Now, he played right back the other day, didn't he? And I thought he did really well. And when I said that he could be the viable right back for the rest of the season, again, I got killed on Twitter. People were like, you don't know anything about football. He's not, a, he's not a right back. And they're right in a way, not the bit that I don't know about football, but that Tuan Zabi isn't a right back. But he did play right back quite a bit as a kid. So he can play in the fullback positions, both left and right, because he's talented. And do I think that at the moment <laughs> that he's a better crosser of the ball than Aaron Wambasaka? I think I'm a better crosser of the ball than Aaron Wambasaka at the moment, because Aaron is just miles off where he needs to be. We talked about Jaden Sancho there briefly. Jaden Sancho needs a fullback that goes on his outside to give him the space. Aaron doesn't do that. That's a problem. If you can't cross a ball and you don't go on the outside, you don't stretch the play and you play simple all the time, then you're really not any use to the team. And that's a problem. And I think with Luke Shaw on the other side, we've seen successive coaches maybe coach out his progressiveness out of him. You know, we know the, the famous Mourinho rant about Luke Shaw doesn't think for himself. I think for him. Yeah, I have to tell him where to stand and what to do. Well, yeah, that's your job as a coach. But ultimately, you want your fullbacks to be progressive. Now, Tuan Zabi wouldn't be that player to be a progressive fullback. I think he could do the overlap because he's he's physically capable of doing it. And if I was Ole, I might feel the need to do that in the weeks ahead. But was this the right game to do it? Probably not. I think if Aaron Wambasaka is your starting right back, you're losing one of your starting centre-backs and you're happy with Bailly's fitness, because I think that's always what it comes down to. I said today I didn't think Bailly would start because, you know, two games in a week for Bailly, that's kind of like a piece of, you know, tactical genius there on its own, getting him on a football pitch. But he played today and he played okay. You know, there was no problem because they didn't have a striker. You know, no Jimenez, then you can play Bailly there with Maguire with no pace. It's fine. But for two and Zabi, he will get in this team and people have to be patient. It's a bit like the Van der Beek situation. There will be injuries eventually where we have to call on these players and they will get rotational minutes. But I think with two and Zabi, just give it time. I'm I'm convinced that once he's in, you can't get him out. You know, if, if Lindelof does need an operation or something like that and two and Zabi gets minutes or two and Zabi, say Wan-Bissaka completely falls off the edge of the cliff and... Tuanzebi plays right back for the rest of the season. I think Tuanzebi can do for Man United now what Wes Brown did for Manchester United and for Alex Ferguson in the year that we won the Champions League in Moscow. Everybody forgets who crossed that ball for Ronaldo's header. Yeah, it was it was a centre back called Wes Brown. So you can play as a centre back on that side if you if you're a ball player and you you know how to kind of swing a ball in like we're talking about Teller swinging in from deep. Well, 
two and Zabi can certainly do that. And I think the system will, will suit him four two three one. It means that there's a bit of coverage behind him. It means that he might have a low block. It means it might have a double pivot there to the side. Gives him a little bit more freedom. And I thought he played it well when he played the other day. But tonight probably wasn't the game to play to in Zabi. I agree with that, Rob. Barry's got a comment here. It's regarding Martial. He's agreeing with you. We developed Martial well as a number nine, so don't see why we'd replace him now. It's a fair comment. There's a lot of Bailly love, Rob. Let's talk about Bailly as okay. well. So Lukács is saying here, our defence with Bailly looks tight. Brilliant defender. He's really chalk and cheese for me because, you know, I'm someone that, I mean, Green Devil's got a comment here. Can we wrap Bailly up in cotton wool, please? And Lokesh is saying he's wrapped up in Ollie's arms right now, which is brilliant. <laughs> um, and Heli's saying here, Bailly's a bit of a loose cannon. That's my sort of thinking, but I thought he was actually fantastic tonight. He's fabulous, but the stunts he pulls sometimes, he needs Harry next to him. Rob, talk to me a little bit about Eric Bailly, because he came to Manchester United for a £30 million fee, and he was pretty impressive in his first year. We all know he's had a lot of injury problems. He's made a glass. And it shows when he plays because he's out for long periods of time. Very key developmental years. We said this on the last podcast that that's the worry with Axel, that he needs to play, he needs to develop. You need to be playing. That's how you improve. That's how you improve your temperament, your composure. Now, Eric Bailly is someone for me who I thought at the end of last season, right, especially after that Chelsea game in the semi-final of the FA Cup, I thought his time at Man United is done now. He's got a huge, huge opportunity here with Lindelof potentially out for the season. He's very... Jekyll and Hyde, a bit like this Man United side. One minute, you know, he can be absolutely fantastic. He's got that recovery pace, which is key. And you saw that a few times tonight where Adama Traore did get the better of Maguire and you saw Bailly come across. And I thought that was very good. My my issue with Bailly is that he is very, he's very rash. And I just feel like Man United can't afford to have a player that's going to be one minute excellent, one minute, you know, sort of doing something crazy. So, Talk to me what you thought about Bailly and do you think that's going to be the partnership that Oli goes with going forward? Because, again, I think Axel's probably a better fit. I think he's more composed. I think, you know, he's uh, he's a he's got a better injury record. I mean, it's a bit touch and go between the both of them. But um, Henners is saying here, Bailly is everything you want in essential centre-half. Just so incredibly stupid at times. I'm really not the biggest fan of Eric Bailly, but Rob, I thought he played w well tonight and he's played well when he's played over the last three games. Yeah, again, let's try and step away from the fandom. You know, first of all, I'm not, I don't think Eribay is a particularly good footballer, first and foremost. He's not great with the ball at his feet. But what you have to say is this I think that Harry Maguire is a much better defender when he's next to Bailly. I just think that's the truth because Harry Maguire knows he's got some pace and power next to him, and that counts. At, at centre back, those two things count. We always say about pace and power being cliches. But ultimately, when you're playing at centre-back, you need a bit of that. You need someone who's got a bit of muscle and who can cover. So, you know, I said there uh, about the Tellers incident with three minutes to go where Tellers got caught up the field and they're raiding. It wasn't Maguire who saved United. It was Baye who came across. So Baye goes and helps his man because he knows he has to. He knows that's his job. Victor Lindelof doesn't do that. So I think that if Lindelof is out for any uh, period of time, I think Baye does become the automatic choice for for Maguire he's more experienced than Tuin Zabi Tuin Zabi is still a player as I said he's been out for a long time as well and I don't think you pick players on their injury records you you pick them on what they can do for the system and then if they get injured then you have to deal with it so I've got no kind of I 100% expect Eric Bailly to get injured in the next 10 games I do because I've seen it repeatedly we've all seen it 
since he's been at Man United since the day he signed from the football club when he came from Spain. Um, I think he's a I think he's got ability in an old school way. So great from set pieces. Uh, I think when he's close to his marker, he's really good. I think the issue is, is that in the Premier League that the game has become about channels. And if people run you in a channel or they work you out, they kind of find how to to pull you out of position to allow the strikers to get more space. So that's an issue, I think, for Bailly that he needs to solve. But he can only really solve it by playing. You know, if he doesn't play, we can't magically just always solve it on a, on a training pitch because it has to mean something in results. So today... It worked. It was fine. And it worked in the previous game. And I think when you look at what Baye gives Maguire as a pairing, they're good. You know, one is a bit of a ball player. One can bring it out. One can command and tell people what to do. The other one can cover, cover pace from behind, also cover the full back. So when Wambasaka is either up the pitch or or not guard the channel, I think Baye does that fine. And I think if you're playing four at the back, then Baye Maguire is good. When you play three at the back, that might be when you kind of say, no, I prefer Maguire, Shaw, and say two and Zabi, because two and Zabi is the ball player. But United are not going to play three at the back a lot, unless they're in Europe or playing a team that dictates it. What you saw today from United, uh, with about 20 minutes to go, just to add this in, was that we kind of went to a diamond very briefly. I don't know if anyone noticed it. Yeah, we went from kind of 4 2 3 1. And then we kind of went into this diamond system where um, Pogba was at the base of the diamond and Matic went to the right and then they swapped a couple of times. (coughs) Excuse me. And then for that 10 minutes, that was when United got their foot on the ball and in the game and Wolves backed off massively. And that allowed United to go back to 4-2-3-1 because Wolves retreated. And that really allowed Baye and Maguire to kind of play on the halfway line for the rest of the match. So there was no real issues with the counter-attack from that point on. All of these things matter. And I think with Bailly, I think he's fine. I think he works as a as a reserve to come into the team. He's also not the long-term solution. But I think if Lindelof's out for a while, I've got no issues with Bailly starting. I hope and Zabi gets games. That's what I want. You know, I think he is the, the talented player, the prodigal son at centre-back. And... I want, my, I want Mengi to get games at some point as well, but I know these things are difficult. We we all wish these players to to maybe get more time. Oh, Mengi is not ready. He's watched, uh, the six one no. defeat. He was he was look. He's young. Yeah. He's, it's going to take yeah. time. But I think you know you might come in maybe maybe for Watford totally. potentially in the yeah. FA Cup. But I I think you know it's, it's a bit of a baptism of fire. With centre backs, always feel like they need to go on the loan yeah. for a couple of years, like we saw Axel at Villa need to play regularly. Championships are a great league for them to play because there's a physicality aspect of it as well. It's a more physical league, so it toughens them up a little bit. And then when they come back, hopefully then they can slot back in. Maybe in another Premier League loan. I mean, you know, I still think that Axel could have gone out on loan again if United had signed. I'm just saying if they had signed mm-hmm. another defender because for me, I, I, I'd rather he was playing week in, week out. I don't see the point of him sitting on the bench. He hasn't played. He's been injured, but he hasn't played enough for my liking. Now, I don't mind us going forward with Bailly and Maguire. I agree, you know, uh, a lot of the people in the comments are saying, you know, there's that nice combination where you Maguire's a bit more calmer and composed, and Bai is a bit, bit more aggressive, and he's he's the one that goes flying in a bit. And they're obviously not on the level of Ferdinand and Vidic, but that similar sort of uh, combination. But with your centre back pairings, you don't want to change them too much. That's important. That is the that is a foundation that you build upon. Now, if you're right, Bai probably will get injured. But if we're going through and Lindelof's out and Axel's coming in. That's three centre-back pairings in a season. That's not what you build off, is it, really? 
it's not what you build off, but also at the same time, there is a, a logic to say that if you have a young player who's done well, and obviously Tuanzebi has done well at, at Villa and, and his loan spells, that the time has come to be part of our squad. So he's he's not a kid anymore. Is he 23? He's not a boy. You know, he's not Mengi young. But ultimately, you kind of look at him and you say to yourself, right, if I get an injury tomorrow, by he goes and snaps his leg and Lindelof's out, Tuanzebi's playing. And Tuanzebi plays for the rest of the season every week. So this is why you have players like that. And this is why you have strength in numbers. That's why you sign Van der Beek. You don't sign Van der Beek to be a game changer immediately. You bring him in and you work him into the squad. And eventually the minutes come because people get injured. So that's why I would keep Tuanzebi at the club for now. It might be at the end of the season that they're in a different situation. However, I think if United say went and bought up a Meccano at the end of the year and that was something they decided to do, then you might see that that's the end of Tuanzebi. He might get sold. You know, he might be time to move him on because you can't just keep a player hanging on forever just because you might play him one day or he might be a starter one day. But I think as it stands, I don't think United are looking at centre-backs. Um, so I think Tuanzebi will get minutes and I think he'll push his way into the team eventually. Absolutely, Rob. Rob, there's a question here from Joseph. Can we spend the last 10 minutes talking about the Villa game? Let's, uh, let's do that. Yeah, why not? So let's go on to the Villa game. I was more... Nervous about this game, you know, since Wolves have come up, three draws, one defeat against them. Moving on to Villa, fantastic, well, fantastic form so far this season. They've got a couple of games in hand, haven't they? They really look like they bought pretty well. Ross Barkley's come in as well. Jack Grealish is obviously the one to look out for. How do you expect United to set up and what are you expecting from Villa in terms of the way they're going to play? I think they create a lot of chances, Rob, an absolute bucket load of chances and I think United will go back to that Fred and McTominay uh, double pivot and I expect us to play on the on the counter um, Villa are much better well built for Manchester United than Wolves are so it'll be a totally different game and Villa have started the season really well you know obviously they slammed seven past Liverpool but I think you can kind of forget about those anomalies because they're part of the weirdness of the season of the Premier League um, I think Villa are a, are a good opponent to bring the best out of Man United. So I don't think we'll play on the counter-attack against them. I think we'll just play a more aggressive style through our system. We'll play 4-2-3-1 and the double pivot will actually have work to do because Villa have got strikers and forwards. And that what does that do? It stretches the game. That suits Manchester United. That means that you can run at players. It means that Rashford's got more space. It means that Rashford's on the front foot. He's not bringing it back in. It means that Martial can play as a number nine, as he normally does. It means that Greenwood can go and do Greenwood things. So I think Villa are a good opponent for United. And I think that United will feel that they should comfortably beat Villa. Now, look, the whole connection with Aston Villa this season is Jack Grealish. Yeah, everybody wants to talk about Jack Grealish because Jack Grealish was a Manchester United target. Jack Grealish was not a Manchester United target come the end of the season because Jack Grealish went 21 games without scoring. So that was one of the reasons. But also Jack Grealish doesn't really have the pace to suit Manchester United. Now, he's a bit of an artist and we know that he's got flair and ability and he's looked really, really good this season. I think that in this kind of game, he suits Baye. He suits Wambasaka in the sense that, they, he, that he will allow them to get close to him and they'll like that and they'll smash him. 
So that's good because that suits our those two players on that side of the pitch. Um, I think when you look at um, Grealish, I think there's always a thing now where he'll want to prove himself against Manchester United simply because of all of the links and all of these things. Um, so do not be surprised to see him have a world here. I remember that I was there, you know, to the side when he scored that goal. Uh, when Villa came up and it was a fantastic yeah. goal. Yeah, it was amazing. We, we saw it and we all stood up and applauded it because like, we were outside of the ground, obviously, at Stratford End, and he put it in the top corner and we were like, wow, Pereira let him have it, but, you know, Pereira should have closed him down and he wouldn't have scored. But it was a moment where you thought, wow, this could be a, a special player coming through. I'm still not particularly hot on the Grealish tip. I don't think he's an £80 million player. I don't think that he fits Man United's system at all. I think... Play number ten, which is where Rashford plays, where Bruno plays. Okay. That's where he'd play. If you if you brought him to the football club and you wanted him to play his best football, he plays left side of attack, as you said, or he plays as a ten. Now United don't really play as a ten; they play Bruno as a false nine. There's a difference. Yeah, you'd see that Grealish would want to be more of a trekkerista, as I keep saying, the player that floats um, on the left hand side. He wouldn't suit United's. Uh, ability to to go with pace and that's why Rashford plays there every week and when Rashford doesn't play there Martial plays there because he's also quick so I see no place today for Jack Grealish at Manchester United there's no there's no room for him in the squad it's not that he's not going to be a great player or he's not going to develop and go on but if you spend 80 million pound my god make sure it's a player that you're going to play every week yeah if you're going to pay 80 million quid don't be buying a substitute that we're all sat here every week going, why have United bought this lad and he can't even get the team because Rashford starts every week. So let's see what happens. I think that Villa are in a good moment and they've looked good this year, but they're, they've got holes in them. I think they're overperforming massively. And if United kind of shake off the cobwebs from this display against Wolves, they'll see how Villa set up and they'll think, mm, we fancy this a little bit more, suits us a little bit more. Let's go out there, play with a bit more pace a bit more precision and try and slice them open. Yeah, I think in the comments all saying similar things that uh, United will benefit from the way that Villa play. They will go for it. You saw them against Chelsea. They went for it. And, uh, you know, it's good to see a strong Villa side, Rob. I, I went to university. Oh, Mings suspended? Who is, sorry? Tyra I Mings? don't actually know. I don't think either of them are. Um, I know in the last game. Oh, he might have done against Chelsea. If anyone knows in the comments, yeah. um, I, I don't know if was on. Yeah, so, but you know, you've got other players like you've got McGinn, you've got Ollie Watkins, who's uh, started the season, you know, really well at Villa. So they've got they've got players that can hurt United. But I do think that this is a game. It was a game tonight, which I was more more worried about because Wolves, you know, exactly what they're going to do. They're going to sit deep. They're going to make it really difficult for you, and then they're going to be very direct. And I think United struggled with that directness. But Rob, what are your final words? I mean, such a big victory. United are going into the new year second in the table which is I mean who would have thought that United would be this close to the top just behind Liverpool we've got a game in hand as well obviously Liverpool are playing I believe tomorrow night I mean it's I'm absolutely delighted I never thought it'd be like this if I'm being honest with you I was always saying United have got to be within I know it sounds so negative United have got to be within seven points of the top um you know going into Christmas if they're 15 points by the end of the season I'll be happy that's that's how low my expectations were um, not to take anything away. I just thought, you know, it's got to take a bit of time. But this season is crazy. Anything can happen. So I'm delighted. How are you feeling after that? And what are your final words before we wrap up? Well, I always start with the, the usual catchphrase of don't be too high and don't be too low. I still haven't looked at the league table. I don't know where anyone is. 
because I'm not really that interested. Uh, it's 14 games, 15 games in now, and we get to that point in the season where it does start to mean something. So you're kind of feeling high about it starts to count because you're in a position now where you can start thinking about things. But for me, it's I'm still thinking just game to game. So the idea is that, you know, if you lose to Aston Villa or if you lost tonight to the Wolves, I felt with 20 minutes to go, it could be that kind of game where we're going, oh, United got counter-punched and we lost the game and typical United. Those things still do exist. They're still present in Manchester United. So I don't feel too high about it as, as it stands. What I will say is this, is that if we get another 10 games in and Man United are in the top two or above Man City or right on Liverpool's coattails, then it's game on. Because there will come a point where City and Liverpool both have a bad end to the season one day because it happens. doesn't matter which club you are. I believe that City are going to win the title. Sorry, all the United fans watching. I think that they're the team who've still got the most upside. They will win it. I think City will win it. They're six points off the top. Season, but I know they're just not, there's something not quite wrong uh, right there. Sorry, there's not it's not clicking for them. I know they're picking up wins quietly under the radar, but I just don't see them. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they've not started their season yet, and they're six points off the top, and they don't concede goals anymore. So those two things really are how how you get into the title picture. They are six points behind Liverpool. And Liverpool have still not got Van Dijk for a very long time. So I think Liverpool will drop points. I think Manchester United will drop points. I honestly believe that. I just think we're still in that situation as a football club where we will have hiccups because that's where we are in our development. But Manchester City are the kind of team who've got Sergio Aguero coming back. They can go and win 15 in a row. They can go and win 30 or 40 or 50 points without losing a game because they have that experience. And experience means everything in football. It's how you navigate the choppy waters. So I think that they're the, they're the title favourites. I think that they'll push ahead eventually. But let's just say they don't. United United are up there. United are going to be in that top four picture. And I think that that they, they could balance. What was this, what's this uh, uh, comment here? Their striker is made of glass now, Rob, and Jesus ain't the man. You're totally right. Jesus is not the man. And we know that Sergio Aguero only needs to trip over and he breaks his leg and he's out for months. If that happens, then, then of course, the, the kind of predictions are easy to make. But if, that, if that's not how it is, and if Aguero comes back and is fit and they sort it out, you know, De Bruyne, Sterling, Mares. You've got midfielders, Gundogan. Gundogan would walk in our team. He, he's not even a conversation there. But Bernardo Silva would walk in the Man United team. He, he barely gets on the bench some weeks. You know, their fullbacks are all primed to get assists. They all fly forward. Let, so I, I look at Manchester City as on a different level still to Manchester United as a football club in their building. And that's why I say that they're the favourites. But give it another 10 games. If United are still where we are now, then we can start talking about United being contenders. I don't think it's wise from football fans, for United fans, to start getting really high on it. I was on a podcast yesterday where on one hand it was Ole out and on the other hand it's ti we're title contenders. It's like, well, what are we? We're, what, are we title <laughs> contenders or are we Ole out? What, what is it? You know, are we rubbish or are we good? The, the truth yeah. is it's always somewhere in the middle. And I think United have done really well this first part of the season. They've got more points than any team, I believe, since the Spurs result. So from, yeah, on, that, on, on that statistic alone, that shows that Ole has got 95% of it right. I think the other 5% where it hasn't worked is maybe on days like today, where it's just looked a bit loose and slow. 
and maybe they haven't had time to work on, on the training pitch and maybe one or two fitness over Christmas isn't where we want it to be. But good times. I think we're in a better position now than we were a year ago. And this is why, Haydar, I said to you specifically at the start of the season, don't worry about it. Let it play out. And if it goes wrong, Ole gets a sack. And then we go and get Pochettino because he hasn't got a job. Oops. Listen, Pochettino comes, when it comes to Pochettino. See, this is what I want to say on this podcast because a lot of people have dropped me a message saying, oh, are you upset? Like on the day, I'll be honest with you, I messaged you, Rob, and I was like, oh, Poch is gone. But you know what? For me, it was always a case. And Rob, you know you this. You said it was never gone, I'm gutted. That was your words. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're exposing me now. Listen, but it was never about sacking Oli and bringing anyone in. For me, it was always about Pochettino. Now he's out of the yeah. picture. It doesn't matter. Let's just yeah. get, for me, it was never about not getting behind Oli, but it was about, that's the manager for me, I thought you not, could take United to the next level. But he's gone option. now. Yeah, it's, it's done. So there's a, better option, there's a better option, and there's always that kind of, um, that feeling of exploring it and looking at that better option. There's no doubt for me, I, I like Pochettino. I think he's a really good coach. I'm not surprised he's going to PSG. People are saying, oh, he hasn't won a trophy. They always say about Pochettino, and it's like, He's the best on the market. There's no doubt about it. So, you know, if United had, you know, Volley had failed and United were now where Chelsea are or Arsenal or any of these teams hovering around mid-table, you know, then you might have been able to say, well, should he be sacked? If you're going to say Ole out and he's second and has got the best record in the league since the Spurs result and, and certainly has won more points than pretty much any other manager yeah, over 12 months... You know, result, Rob, I go above Liverpool in that in that table. Yeah, ta this is why tables should matter at the end of the season, but shouldn't really matter now because at the end of the season, yeah, if we come second and we lose by two, three points, we might be here going, oh, do you remember that game where United weren't so good and they could have got over the line and won the title? That's okay in retrospect when it happens. But at the moment, I kind of think to myself, the boys are playing well. Tonight was an off night. There were reasons. It did boil down to one or two positions. But what I really like is United played badly and they won. That's what Liverpool have been doing for two or three years. I covered Liverpool my uh, my work and watched them for the whole of last season and the season before every match. And I would say 60, 70% of the games, they weren't very good. They just knew how to win games badly. And that was what Man United were brilliant at under Fergie. They could play poorly and they'd win 2-0. Or they'd win one nil, and you take your three points, you go home, and you get on with it with life. Um, and Liverpool have become that team where they've lost Van Dijk. They haven't even got any centre backs at the football club, you know, and they, they have a striker even, you know, Firmino's a false nine, and yet they win and they get results. And people then, oh, they drew to West Brom. Maybe this is the end. I don't think so. I think I think they will be up there still. I think United will chase, and I think that let's see what happens in the transfer window in January. There might be. Just a hot transfer that United could pull out the bag, you know, Alaba, and and see if United could <laughs> yeah, do something. You, know something about you, know, you keep on mentioning it. You don't do that no, unless you know no, something. No, 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 look, look, it's it's a Alaba situation is the same for Alaba in every football club in the sense that Alaba wants some money and Bayern Munich are not quite sure whether they want to give it to him. So if Alaba wants some cash and he wants a big wage, then that really grounds it down to three or four Premier League clubs. You don't even really put Real Madrid or Barcelona in that. And Manchester United are one of those teams. So United have inquired about him. That's not a secret. Let's see what happens from here. I think Alaba is a is a gettable target. 
But if you look at it, if United are playing well and are kind of two or three or four points off the top of the table, it does make United much more attractive to the Alibers of this world because they see that things are happening and that they can get that team over the top. I always talk about that, don't I? Getting a team over the top with a player. I always say the best way to improve your team, ultimately, is to just buy better players. Get your recruitment right. And then your systems and your tactics and all those things work over a period of time and you can teach people new methods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's see what happens. I think United are, are in a good place. United fans should be very, very happy with a scrappy 1-0 win with a deflected effort off the backside of a Wolverhampton Wanderers defender. Absolutely. And guys, I just want to just want to say this is our 18th episode and the reaction and all the, you know, the comments and all the support has been absolutely mind blowing. We didn't think we'd be here. Rob, what did we say? Was it what to the end of the season? What, 40, 50 episodes we said possibly where we'd, you know, where we'd reassess things. But it's been absolutely amazing. We couldn't thank you more. So I just want to say a massive thank you for all your support. And, you know, next year is going to be bigger and better. We're going to try and bring the best content that's possible for you guys. Yeah, thanks for supporting us, as we always say. And we need you to keep supporting us. So, you know, you guys, we talk about it on Twitter. Please retweet the show out. Please talk about it. Get the conversation going about tactics and Manchester United rather than people just shouting, screaming, Ole out, Ole in and all of this junk and garbage that we hear from fan bases all the time. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about the sport. This is what we love. You know, we do it because of this, because of what we see with our eyes. It's not just all about emotion. That is part of the game. It's also about intelligence and about putting things together. And let's hope that Ole has got the intelligence to make this work. He knows what we're about. He knows what the football club is about. Let's just give him a bit of time. Stick with us with the podcast. There'll be loads more great things to come. We're really, really happy about all of your support and the numbers that you're all putting in. And uh, let's keep moving forward together and tell us what you want from the masterclass. If there's other tactical things you want to talk about, we will absolutely talk about them for you. Absolutely. Just drop me, uh, drop me a DM if you want or just uh, put it under our next post. We'll be back for the Villa game on New Year's Day. Have a lovely new year, guys. Keep safe and we will see you next time.